Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to the Audible. I am Bruce Feldman. No stew again this week. He's still on his big surfing vacation to Hawaii. Uh, but we are joined by another Fox college football presence. It's Notre Dame legend, Brady Quinn. Brady, thanks for filling in. Oh, always a pleasure to join you, Bruce. I uh, love talking with you, especially when we're talking about some college football. Good, good. Okay. Uh, hey, I just... I was curious. So uh, yesterday, we're taping this on Monday. Yesterday was your wife Alicia's first Mother's Day. So your daughter is not yet one. But I wanted to ask you, we're kind of, you know, in the same new dad phase a little bit. Uh, What do you find to be the most exhausting thing about being a dad? I think the most exhausting thing about being a dad is, uh, you know, a lot of people will say lack of sleep. But um, I've never been a great sleeper as it is. So I've always kind of dealt with those sorts of issues. Uh, for me, it, it's kind of really take the small amount of time that you have where you're not watching your child or trying to do something for your child, but that's, you know, change a diaper or food or whatever it may be. Uh, it's trying to find those times when you can kind of focus on the other you know, tasks and things in your life, whether that's things around the house, things that your wife's asking you to do, or things for your job, you know, additional prep, things like that. That, to me, has been one of the, the tougher adjustments I don't think I've had to make is I already thought I was efficient with how I utilize my time. You have to be even that much more efficient uh, when when you have a kid or when you have kids. So uh, I'm constantly trying to adjust and tweak and figure out how to optimize the amount of time that I have in my day to do as much as I can. Uh, how often have you, I know your wife's still doing, she does commentary for some ESPN or SEC network, right? So how often, yeah, have, yeah. how often have you had to kind of fly solo with your daughter and it's just you? Oh, I've spent weekends solo with just me and her. And, and to be honest with you, I kind of look at it as like a challenge. You know, you've got this chance to spend a lot of quality time, um, you know, with my case, my daughter. And, you know, I try to you know, have this go on little, you know, adventures where we'll go out. Uh, take her on runs or take her on walks and go to certain places and try to show her different things. I'm not even sure she's old enough to ever remember any of this, but it's just maybe getting her exposed to um, maybe trying to go to the zoo or go to like these different environments so she feels more comfortable in them. Hopefully when she's older, 
trying to work on talking with her and everything else, and maybe even trying some new foods here and there. Um, but I kind of look at it more as a challenge, you know, just where you don't have any anyone else to help you out. And uh, I don't know that it, it always comes natural to most men to kind of, you know, kind of take over for really both sides um, of, of nurturing a child. But you know, I, I get her on a strict schedule, and I kind of keep her there. And I make sure she gets all her sleep and all her food and all that, and she's all clean and ready to go. And then and we just have, try to have some daddy-daughter time and try to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm in the midst right now of the longest stretch I've done a solo. My wife is out of town. And do you ever see the scene where so I'm getting them ready for daycare? And do you ever see the scene in Pulp Fiction where Jules and Vincent are, are done with the wolf and now they just they had hosed down and they're in these random clothes? That's what I think my kids are gonna they're gonna have like UC Santa Cruz banana slug shirts on and just mismatched parts when I take them in one day and the women there are gonna be like, What did you do to them? or whatever. So uh all we can do is wing it. Good luck with that. Okay, right. that's not the end verdict. I hope not, but uh, it's going to be a long week. So, uh, all right. So, moving along, uh, I wanted to start this because you do a lot of NFL and you do a lot of NFL uh, on the radio at, at, at Sirius, but also with CBS. And we're coming off the draft. Lots of talk about quarterbacks and everything. And we're going to spring forward. You've seen Sam Darnold from USC in person. You've seen Josh Rosen from UCLA in person. You've seen Jake Browning. Uh, what's your impressions of these guys and how much do you buy into the hyping up that's going on with people saying, oh, this guy's going to be the first pick in the draft next year, even though Sam Darnold has less, uh, basically 10 games as a starter. You know, some of the issues with Trubisky, some of the skepticism, uh, at least, I would think would be there at this point. It was just a limited body of work, no? Yeah, I think that's always some of the skepticism. He's not going to have to deal with that after another season of starting. But to be quite honest, too, I mean, you look where Trubisky went. He was the first quarterback taken, number two overall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from a financial standpoint, it did hurt him. And really, you know, the only thing that he'll have to kind of figure out and hopefully fill up the opportunity to do is, you know, have some patience before they thrust them in there. Um, you know, as far as being able to learn an NFL offense, and really the other pieces on that team being able to help them out because, you know, I don't know that they have a ton of guys that are proven right now at the wide receiver position to be able to take care of their end of the bargain. Uh, as, as far as being able to put up numbers and put up production. So those things kind of, kind of would bother me. But there's some AFC scouts that came out earlier, to, or earlier this week, or last week, I guess, late last week, but within the past like, five, six days, and talked about the fact that they were glad that he only had 13 starts because they had him ranked so high and maybe one of the best potential quarterback prospects over the past six years. That's including guys like Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, you know, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, obviously, and, when you look at that and think about that for a while, it's pretty interesting to think. So given that you look at this year's you know crop of guys or next year's, I should say, when they come out, these guys are going to have more experience. They're going to be guys who have been very successful at the collegiate level, and they're going to be guys that I think fit the mold of what a lot of teams are going to be looking for as far as those quarterback needy teams. Where do where you stand right now on Darnold's projection and both him and Rosen? around him. I mean, just from my time down at the combine, talking to different scouts, general managers, and head coaches, a lot of them were talking very, very highly about Sam Darnold and what he was able to put up as far as his athleticism, um, his ability to make all sorts of different types of throws, um, you know, moving to his left, you know, throws with zip to the sideline that are accurate and not have to make the wide receiver do too much. 
Um, he, he really can make such a variety of throws. And, and it's almost like you're just watching a guy out there playing, and he just has a feel. Sometimes his mechanics can look a little bit long. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be the one knock that you actually hear on Sam Darnold is maybe a little bit of a wind-up, but it doesn't seem to affect his timing. It doesn't seem to affect his accuracy. And I, I think he, he has the ability to actually speed it up at times when we're other times where it's not you know quite as fast. So I, I think it's the general feel that he has for the game. So I'll be curious to see how that's perceived. I mean, Rosen, obviously, he hasn't had, I believe, the career that I think we all thought he'd have after his first couple of seasons. You know, I, I don't necessarily know that you'd look back to sophomore year shows a, a, you know, a step backwards only because of the injury and the amount of time missed. But from his rookie season to his sophomore year, you just expect to see him really take off. And, again, you know, not enough, not enough games and not enough time to really say whether it was a sophomore slump and he dealt with different coordinators. And he's going to have to deal with that again this year. But I, I think he's going to have a lot of success. He's a guy who could really help improve himself this year. No, my biggest concern with him is you know, if he can just say less and do the right things and not become a guy that people have a bad perception of as far as always wanting to be the smartest guy in the room. That includes the coach. And, and that a lot of times can rub coaches and general managers the wrong way. Uh, Josh Allen's obviously a guy who's just incredibly talented from an athletic standpoint that plays in the NFL system. So he's going to get a ton of comparisons to Carson Wentz. Whether that's, not, that's even applicable or fair, um, it's just kind of how it works in the NFL because when you're selling these guys to an owner, especially when you're talking about taking a quarterback in the top five in the first round, the owner's a part of that decision. And they're looking for guys who are comparable players. So it will be Carson Wentz and Josh Allen given where they played their college ball at, a similar skill set and a similar style of offense as far as how they'll be able to transition into the NFL. How much would you be concerned just from a, I mean, he's a big, strong guy like Wentz, good athlete, same, you know, same coaches that North Dakota's crew is now, North Dakota State crew is now with him at Wyoming. But if you look at his numbers, and I don't want to play too much into stats because if that was the case, you'd have, you know, a lot of air raid guys. I mean, you did have, obviously, Mahomes go high, but, uh, only completed 56% of his passes. TD to interception ratio was, was less than two to one. Uh, he Now, it was his first year as a starter, and he is still really raw. But when you look at some of these games, uh, is that would that give you pause? Or would you say, okay, we're going to find out a lot more this year because I think he has to play. I think they have – they go – they play Oregon. I forget who else. I think they have another Pac-12 opponent uh, in the early season. Yeah, I I've got to see him play this year. I think what you touched on is really what the draft is, is always about. It's about potential. It's about what they are as a prospect, uh, meaning what they feel like their ceiling is. So once a guy shows ability, this is that really all positions, but quarterback included, then all of a sudden they, they kind of it kind of piques their interest and they have to take a little bit of a deeper dive. And for a guy like Josh Allen, who hasn't played uh, maybe as much as you'd like to see, this year is going to be a pivotal year for him. Because there's a lot of people anticipating that he will be coming out, you know, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, last year, there's there some thought that he might have came out, and, and now it's his time. So after this year, we'll, we'll see, you know, how he performs, how big of a jump he takes, given that last year is only his first year starting. And, and that's what they want to see. They want to see all those numbers you discussed increase. They don't want to see any sort of dips. And as far as the touchdown interception ratio, they probably want to see a jump where it's like a three-to-one, you know, difference in that. Uh, but I think the system is going to be a big product of it. Because at Wyoming, they're obviously not getting the best athletes in college football. I think it's fair to say that. It's not 
degrading to the players that are there. They're just not as talented as any of the schools in the you know Power Five conferences for that matter. So that being the case, they don't look at you know the, the amount of production always and say, well, he's not putting up as big of numbers as other quarterbacks because he's not necessarily playing with as many talented guys. And I, I think that that's going to play a factor in sometimes inflated numbers, sometimes the system, uh, sometimes the level of play you're with. You know, I, I, the level of play you're with. Um, but if you're looking at the type of offense that he's running, that's going to be something that they're going to be really excited about. One where they're able to make audibles and checks and do things where they have some control at the line of scrimmage. That's what I think a lot of the concern is for, for teams when they've got to bring guys in and teach them how to operate an offense and how to be an extension of them on the field. You just don't see it anymore. So when you got a guy who's running a system like that, you feel much more comfortable. And then if you see some of those you know, some of the skills that they're looking for in a franchise quarterback, then you get really excited because now you just got to find a way to get him to hone in on that and become more of a consistent player and be able to help him reach his, you know, the pinnacle and reach the peak of his play performance. I'm curious. So you were, you had a lot of hype. You played at Notre Dame. You came out of high school with, with pretty big reputation and, and played for Charlie Weiss and a lot of visibility. You go into the NFL as a first round pick if now knowing what you know, you played for a bunch of teams and had some time to digest it and being in the media around a lot of, lot of, lot of coaching and coaches and, and players who were at, at the same stage as maybe you were 15 years ago. What do you know now that you probably wish you knew back when you were 19, 20, 21, 22 years old? Um, I, I think the toughest thing was I probably should have given more, uh, consideration to leaving after my junior year. Um, and and it, I only say that because I, I didn't give it a ton of thought. To be quite honest, um, I was so broken down and, and torn up about losing to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl because it meant so much to me from the standpoint of, you know, being a team that I, I grew up 20 minutes away from going to games and rooting for Ohio State that I wanted to be able to go back and, and beat them and, and feel proud about that whenever I went home and you know we didn't win that game and I think part of it was an emotional decision where I wanted to come back and try to get back to a national championship game and try to you know do the things that I'd set out to do uh, with the other guys in my class that I came there with and I don't know that I took into consideration the timing of some of those teams that were selecting within the top 10 top 15 16 of the draft that plays a, a pivotal factor as far as you know, if they're going to draft a quarterback and what kind of situation you're in. I don't know that I you know, talked enough with my family about our financial situation that we were going through at that point in time and if it would have made sense for us to, to leave then instead of prolonging it another year. So all those things I think I should have given more thought and probably didn't at that point in time and probably made uh, a more emotional decision um, instead of making a, a more well-thought-out decision in the regard to come back from my senior year as opposed to leaving. Do you think, I mean, you might have got, you probably would have gone into a different situation in the NFL. Do you think it would have, how much do you think it would have changed the way things played out for you? In my opinion, dramatically. Um, only because I think a, a lot of quarterbacks who are drafted in a certain situation or circumstance have a much, much better opportunity of having success. Um, it, it would be the, the, the difference in, you know, signing on to, to go work for, you know, a top Wall Street financial firm and then, you know, you know being, a, you know, part of one of these, like, shady junk bond selling firms that is somewhere else, not on Wall Street, trying to build your career from that. I mean, there, there's drastic differences between 
the ownership in any given organization in the NFL, the, the culture there as far as what the general, how the general manager tries to run it as well as the head coach. Uh, and that's going to play a huge impact on your career and, and really your perspective, how you view the NFL, especially once you get into it. And really, most important, more than anything else, is the development aspect of it. Because the NFL is such a different game than college football. There has to be that piece of development. There has to be that piece of growth. And I think for a lot of players, because of the limited practice time, the amount of time you can spend with your coach based on the CBA, they don't get that as much anymore. So now you have to you know, ensure that you can go to an organization that gives you that opportunity or you can go to one that has a head coach that at least gets it so he can help develop you in the moments that he does have with you. And for those the moments that he doesn't, he at least knows how to guide you in the right directions. So you can do it on your own or you can do it with some other good guys on the team because they've either signed good guys or drafted good guys who can help bring you along. I mean, that's such a pivotal part of it all. Uh, as far as your growth and development, that never gets talked about. Um, so I think, yeah, if I would have been drafted into a different situation, it could have played out entirely different. I mean, I'd like to think that if I could have been drafted to the Browns, they would have hung on to you know Phil Savage and Romeo Cornell for a little bit longer, at least another couple seasons. I even think that could have changed the fate of, of Cleveland instead of firing everyone after two years and starting over again and then you know, starting with Eric Mangini. Yeah, you know, I'm curious. Like, I remember talking to Derek Carr when he was at, at Fresno State, right before the start of his last year. We talked about his brother David, who had, you know, terrific arm and a lot of potential. And he got so banged, you know, banged up. And it was, I don't know if at one point as a young quarterback, you see ghosts when you're, when you're just running for your life behind maybe in a bad situation. How much do you, do you how much credence do you give having been, you know, on the inside of this, that it's like almost like you can have a shot fighter where if you get, thrown into a bad situation it can it can make the uh i want to say it can ruin a, a, a talented quarterback but i guess maybe that's that is where i'm going with it it's a kind of thing where whether you start seeing ghosts or it just kind of affects you and it can it can put you it's into such a deep hole maybe mentally that it's it's hard for almost any quarterback to get out no matter how talented they are and, and that's ultimately how i feel right i mean go look at these guys you put a t-shirt and shorts on them how do they throw the football you know, when there's not a rush, when you're just asking to throw routes on air or seven on seven even, right, with a defense out there, you know, a lot of guys can dice it up. They can sling the football. Uh, the difference is, is how do they handle the pocket? You know, what do they have in front of them to help them as far as their offensive line? Because no one's going to be able to throw effectively when they're getting knocked on their back. And then there's only a select few who are tough enough to, one, be healthy, through all the abuse of taking all those hits that they've got a bad offensive line, or two are athletic enough or elusive enough to make those guys miss and make something happen from it. You know, most quarterbacks can't. So they've got to be able to have that protection or at least enough time for guys to get open and make those throws. Uh, and so I always say it, it's kind of like this. You know, for, for anyone who's ever boxed, it's like being in a boxing ring where when you go in there, you start kind of sparring, you start throwing some punches, you know, once you get caught a couple times, right, when you get caught with a hook or a jab and all of a sudden maybe you get hit with an overhand right or a combination, you get stunned a little bit. But you know what that does? It makes all the little fakes and the feints that that fighter is doing or your opponent's doing that much more effective. You have to respect that more because you got tagged before. It's kind of the same thing when you're in the pocket. You're never looking at the rush. Some guys have a bad tendency to do so. I think because maybe they get hit so many times they just expect it. You know, for me, it was more, 
you know, all of a sudden you start to feel those guys get that much closer. And at that point, you immediately know, like, all right, I got to get in my clock. I got to get the ball out of my hand. So even if I wasn't, you know, even if the, the guy wasn't able to get me, I felt the pressure to get the ball out to the check down quicker or throw it away quicker or try to move because, you know, I was getting sacked or a strip, you know, a strip sack or something like that was happening. I mean, uh, that's the difference I would say is in the NFL is the, the impact of the pass rushers and how much better they are, not, not just sacking you, but getting the football out as well. And those hits combined with turning the football over ends up, one, changing the course of the game dramatically, but two, you know, changing how you feel in the pocket. You don't feel as comfortable and as confident in there. And I think when you don't have protection, you look at some of these guys who are talented that come in and don't have that, it changes their entire mindset when they're in the pocket. So instead of being a guy who feels like he's on the attack, now they, they feel like they're the ones being hunted and you're the one back there just trying to get the ball out so you can survive instead of going out there and really dissecting and taking apart the defense. Uh, when you watch a game now, I, I'm curious, who is, the, who is the best quarterback guy you ever worked with? Yeah, I mean, in terms of just would get get you ready where you feel like, okay, I learned – because I, I could say you probably learned a ton from Charlie Weiss because it was at an early stage of your development. But who would you say was probably the, the the guy the most beneficial in terms of the time you spent with him or the things you got out of him? There's a couple of guys that I got to spend time with that I think were really beneficial. I mean, Jim Zorn, I, I always say just the way he talks about the game, the way he prepares you, his drills – He's probably the most creative and is able to kind of really watch film, watch what a quarterback does in a game, and then create a drill that maybe you didn't think that you were going to do. You know, and and so he's got that kind of ability um, that I think that to really help quarterbacks, help prepare them for what it's like. Even though he's played and he's coached at the highest level as a head coach, as well as you know, a coordinator and quarterback coach. So I really learned a lot from him. Enjoyed working with him. I worked with David Lee. He's been a long time quarterback coach in the NFL. Um, is you know preparing for some seasons in the off season because we run into each other and all that and and he was you know he had some great drills and he was great working on you know mechanics things of that nature uh, that I, I really enjoyed uh, Rip Shear who's now at UCLA I had him in my first couple of years in Cleveland and again another guy who played quarterback he actually played for Lou Holtz early on in his coaching career um, and and Rip just had. You know, a sense of understanding like what we needed to know as far as the install and all that, but you know, then what we needed to kind of continue to kind of work on and what we needed to kind of build off of. So, um, those three guys to me were, you know, extremely beneficial. I think as far as helping to teach me the game, how it differs from you know college uh, to really the NFL level. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I think, as you know, next to Charlie Weiss, as far as like the two from a from an offensive perspective. And their mindset of how they looked at defenses, their weaknesses, how they studied them, how they tried to exploit them. You know, he was one of those guys that it, you know, I felt like every single day when he sat in a, in a meeting room with us and talked, you, you learned something uh, just because of, of how he went about trying to construct plays and implement them into our offense. I would be remiss with you on here to, if I didn't ask about your alma mater. So they went 4-8 and eight last year. What are real ex- uh, expectations with them where you have Brandon Wimbush, very talented, strong arm, very athletic, smart kid, taking over for Deshaun Kaiser, but it's his first year as a starter. Uh, you think you think them being a top 10 team is too far of a stretch? I mean, Brian Kelly, it feels like the bloom has fallen off the rose, even though this was a guy who helped get them to a national title game. Yeah, 
say right now because there are so many questions and there, there's questions that, you know, positions that I, I think are, um, you know, the, the, your biggest, you know, key positions, right? Like when you look at this team right now, quarterback, especially in college football, I think can be, you know, your biggest difference maker. And as a first time starter, I mean, you know, Brandon Wimbush, he's got tremendous accolades coming out of high school. I think you, you look at him as, you know, his, his raw talent and what he can be as a quarterback and, and he's just got glowing remarks of how he conducts himself. On paper, on paper, there's yeah, on paper, there's so much to like with him. So, so the question is, how is he going to perform when the lights turn on? Because there's a lot of guys who can go to an elite eleven camp and they can perform at a high level, but then once they get in that team scenario at the next higher level around other players and all that, and they don't perform the, the same way. Um, and, and that's that's the biggest question: is how will he perform once the lights turn on? in a new system, too. Let's not forget Chip Long's there now as our offensive coordinator, so he's had to spend the spring in training camp learning a new system, something that wasn't the case the past couple of years. So, you know, you've got those, you know, those questions, of, and you have to see how he can answer them, then you have to look at the schedule and look at how it shapes out. I mean, I would say eight wins um, would be pretty solid. I think based on what took place last year, based on the undertaking that they're going this year. Now, they do have some guys who were young last year, but got a lot of experience at wide receiver, and on the offensive line, that should help. Um, you look at the changes they made defensively on their staff. I'll be curious to see, you know, again, maturity on the defensive side of the ball combined with the change in the scheme, how that plays an impact. Uh, but I, I would say eight wins would be the mark that I'd say, you know, there or more than that. Uh, you'd have to say the season's a success. Um, less than that, I think, you know, you can make the case that maybe um, it wasn't as, as, as you could, you, I guess you could call it a disappointing season only because of how their schedule stakes out. I think with the talent that they have, the job that that coaching staff has been recruiting, I mean, they should win eight games, if not more, given their schedule and given you know some of these things that I think they'd have to you know battle through this year. Mm. If, if you're coming out now, if you're a 17-year-old quarterback, you're going to be a, you're a senior at, at Dublin-Kaufman all over again this era, who would you most want to play for? You look at the success. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why I think it's tough. You look at the success of you know some of these teams, and and to me, the success of that team is great. But you have to look at the system that they're running. Um, you know, Alabama obviously would be one that I, I think I'd look at and say that they tend to run a more of a pro style system, and it'd be something that would fit more what I'd want. That'd be a team that obviously I'd identify as a team I want to go play for because of their success and their system, but. You know, are you someone that fits in with Nick Saban as far as, you know, the, the, and, and gelling with him and his personality and that culture and all that, um, which, you know, he seems tough on his quarterbacks. That's something that I think you got to be mentally tough for and prepared for. That's something that would appeal to me. I don't know that it appeals to every kid that's out there. Um, you know, you look at the success of Urban at Ohio State, maybe not necessarily the system that would be a perfect fit for me, but I think one that I could have operated with them. Same thing with Michigan, which is a school I looked at as well as Ohio State. Um, and, and, and Notre Dame, it's obviously tough to tell because I saw a bit of Memphis last year with Chip Long. Uh, but it still has the allure to me as the education standpoint, the highest level of football, and it's still a program that's been incredibly successful when you look at the lineage of quarterbacks that have gone on uh, to play in the NFL and play the next level. So that still plays a factor, at least in my mind. So even though I think you know times passed and things have changed, I, I don't know that ultimately my decision would have been altered that much only because it was still driven by the academics combined with the lineage of quarterbacks that play in the NFL. Uh, but maybe the, the scheme fit 
and the offenses would have changed a little bit as far as what some of these teams are doing, which may have been Michigan more appealing uh, to me or a place like Alabama more appealing because there's only so many schools doing it now. You know, you don't see too many pro-style systems or too many teams adapting to that sort of system anymore uh, in college football. So maybe that would have changed how I would have prioritized the system fit as opposed to some of those other things I had mentioned. Could you have gotten into Stanford? Stanford would have been the other place <laughs> that um, I, I think I could have gotten into. I looked at, was being recruited by, and probably the school that I regretted the most of not taking a visit to because had I visited Palo Alto um, and gone out during my recruitment, I, I think it would have it would have meant enough to me at the time to, to give it a, a very, very serious look. And I would have you know, definitely put it into the conversation with the, those three schools I looked at, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, as well as Stanford. They, Stanford would have been right there um, looking at it from my criteria that I had built. Who would have been the coach there, Buddy Tevens then when you were coming out? Because Walt Harris was was after that. You would have played against Walt Harris. Who would have been the coach? Well, it would have been whoever followed when Tyron Willingham left, because obviously that's who I went to play for Notre Dame. Buddy Tevens. It was Buddy Tevens. You know, look, again, from, from his reputation and knowing him as kind of an offensive-minded guy, I think I, I would have enjoyed, um, you know, Buddy Tevens. And like I said, they you know, they recruited me to some degree, but I think they realized that, you know, a lot of these schools realize you know, trying to pull a kid out of the Midwest and leave his family. And it wasn't like my family had the ability to fly out and see my games and all that. And, um, you know, I think with, with where I went, things worked out pretty well. And then also was able to accomplish the goals I had uh, between, the, you know, the student part of it as well as the athletic part of it. You know, you work at Fox. I'm shocked to say, I'm shocked that you did not mention one certain school, which prides itself on being a high academic pro style program. I don't, I don't, I, I can't think of what school that is. I mean, they don't run a pro style offense. <laughs> um, it's the school I think you're, you're mentioning. And can you call them? I mean, I, I'm still always confused. You know, Matt Liner and I had this conversation whether he took a pay cut um, when he went to the NFL or, or if it was, you know, similar pay or how exactly that worked out. So but I always, I'm always trying to figure that out. Um, and that's why Matt said he came back for his, his last year. He said everyone wants to make it about college football and the injury and all that, but you know, really it's because he wasn't really you know, be taking a pay cut to come back, I think is what he told me. Would you have uh, Would you have not been tempted to come to USC? You, you seem like you'd, you live in, in, in a beachy climate. What's not to like about USC? Um, it, look, as, as far as a, a program that's had a lot of success, a story program, especially the quarterback playing all that, it, it would have fit most of that criteria. Um, I just think, you know, again, I'm not trying to downplay the education portion of it because it was incredibly important to me. Um, that would have to factor it in, and I think, for the, for the distance being away from home. And if you're going to compare Stanford to USC, I think we'd say hands down Stanford wins. So from that standpoint, I think it ultimately would have came down to academics, and I probably would have, if I was going to go to the West Coast, probably would have found myself um, being a little bit happier with a, a Stanford degree than USC if that was the case. Um, and, and look, then... This isn't just my opinion. This is documented. It's factual as far as uh, the the type of degree received from Stanford versus USC. Yeah, you're just getting all the shots in right now. Uh, academically, Stanford is a, a more prestigious school. I think anyone I think, who goes to USC, yeah. if if they don't admit that or if they can't admit that, um, then uh, again, they're only uh, they're only denying you know what is the truth, right? I mean, ultimately, I think everyone would agree Stanford is one of the premier programs in the world 
uh, universities in the world, it's Harvard, Stanford. I mean, those are the two strongest brands. Um, you know, I, I think brand-wise, Notre Dame's right there. Um, academically, I mean, I, I wouldn't say Notre Dame would compete with Harvard or Stanford. I mean, you're talking about Ivy League, and you're talking about one of the premier universities in the world as far as, you know, all the you know, Silicon Valley, um, you know, companies that are out there and how they work with the student body there and, and everything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the best educations you can find in the world. So, uh, I think, look, I'm, I'm just talking very favorably of Stanford because I have a lot of respect um, no, for I don't the university think... and even for the football program, what they've been able to achieve. Um, you know, especially since David Shaw's been there. Yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna gonna question Stanford as the pinnacle of in talking right now as as elite football and certainly elite academics. Uh, I was trying to see if you would kind of go head to head with USC and Notre Dame on the academic front, but I don't need to stir that pot uh, anymore. I'd still give Notre Dame the benefit of the doubt over that one. Uh, so I mean, Jacob tries to he tries to bring that up from time to time, but uh, regardless of what the perception is about Notre Dame, uh, they're they're it's, a, it's an extremely difficult school for anyone uh, who, who goes there. Any student realizes that. I think any student athlete realizes that extremely, very early on, how rigorous the academic schedule is and how hard it is. Uh, they actually expect you to show up in class. You're not just sitting in your, in your dorm room or your apartment you know, doing something online. A little bit different nowadays. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one last thing. So you live in South Florida. Uh, I don't want to – obviously Miami's down there, but – Two new coaches came in. I'm curious, how much do you hear, if at all, like locally? Uh, Lane Kiffin made some news today, as we reported earlier. He offered 13-year-old Caden Martin, who's a seventh-grade son of T. Martin. So uh, I saw a little note I had that now got aggregated by TMZ of all places. Uh, but Butch Davis is also down there at FIU. Is there, any, is there a lot of buzz locally about either of those places, either of those programs now? goes, I think people have talked about them getting a little bit the, the upper hand on FAU in regards to some of the recruits that aren't being recruited nationally um, or, or even regionally that are looking at, you know, some of your more, you know, power five schools um, or, or group of five, um, which, you know, you talk, you talk about, you know, some of the talents down here in Broward and Dade County, you know, FIU can really sell to those, those players that they don't have to go. Um, you know, they don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to leave home to be able to play a high level of football and get a coach who's got NFL experience as a head coach, as well as having success at the collegiate level. So there's a lot to sell if you're a Butch Davis and you can sit there and listen to Lane Kiffin pitch the same thing. I mean, he looked, he was the head coach for the Oakland Raiders. Regardless of what you think or his performance there, he, he proved to an NFL owner that he was ready to take over as a head coach of the Oakland Raiders and was a head coach at the NFL level. So he can sell that uh, to a lot of the kids that are down in this area. I think he understands most of the expectations that go along with being an NFL player. And that's, that, that's, an, that's ultimately what it's about. You know, when I, when I go work with a lot of these kids in the community down here and you see the talent, the speed, the athleticism, ultimately these kids are spending their free time working on drills and quick ladder, you know, quick foot ladder drills and things of that nature because they're trying to hone in their game to become the best possible athlete they can so they can eventually go get paid to play the game of football. I mean, that's what goes on down here in the Dow time when these kids aren't in school or aren't, you know, at a formal practice or game. And, you know, these guys are tapping into that as far as the sense of what's the ultimate goal. And I think both Butch Davis and Lane Kiffin can sell that. But I think Butch has done 
maybe a little bit better job, at least from what I'm hearing, you know, getting some of those guys who might be a, a three-star, two-star guy that Miami, you know, passed over or someone like South Florida, Charlie Strong said, you know, they, they didn't necessarily want. They've been able to, you know, bring in some of those guys and kind of win some of those battles right now between, you know, FIU and FAU. How tempting would it be for you to try to get in? I know you've worked with some kids, but to get in on, all the way in on the coaching coaching side of it. That's a sell for the wife, uh, not necessarily for uh, the, the person, right? I mean, I think you, you, now that I've got a daughter, especially once you have a family, um, you've got to be able to sell your wife on the idea that, you know, being away from them even more and recruiting and everything else that goes into college football coaching, uh, you know, is it, going to be good for your family <laughs> in, in some way. So that's the hardest sell. I think that's what uh, would, would, you know, it ultimately makes the decision a lot of times for coaches that people don't talk about enough. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk about Urban Meyer and, you know, his decision to leave, you know, Utah and go to Notre, or go to Florida instead of Notre Dame. It was kind of down to those two schools knocking on his door. And uh, you better believe his wife had a lot to do with that. So um, I think it would be very similar for me as well. Yeah, good luck with that argument. I just, I just remembered uh, a, a coach who was a former head coach told me, the hardest thing you realize is, as a college football coach, you are raising somebody else's kids because you don't have a time, any time to raise your own. <laughs> so. and that's probably the most accurate portrayal there is uh, because when you think about the amount of hours that are put into, you know, for a college football coach, his time with the student-athletes and then dealing with stuff off the field, whether it's good or bad or even academics, I mean, you've got a bunch of kids you're responsible for uh, helping to raise them and into good young men, not just football players. I mean, that's how at least I would see it if I was a coach because I don't know how I could spend, well, it's three years and they leave early to go to the NFL uh, or four years or five years if they had redshirted. I don't know how you could spend that much amount of time with a guy and and not want the best for him, not want to bring him into his, his program so you could help him achieve his dreams or at least equip him with the tools to be able to be successful in life, because regardless of how successful on football, you know, it ends at some point, and you and you got to move on. You got to figure out what the next thing is. So, you know, to me, I mean, that's that's incredibly important. I think for a lot of, where it should be at least for a lot of coaches out there uh, when they're when they're talking to these kids and talking to the parents and recruiting them and then trying to get them in and, and develop them as their development as a man, not just as a football player. Yeah, and just to close, I remember we did a game and it was a certain I won't say who it is, a certain Pac-12 coach, not Mike Leach who had said there are basically two kinds of football wives, understanding and X. And um, I think the time commitment is, is, is an insane amount of time, and I think that just goes part of it. So, so. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that time's the most, look, it's the most limited and most valuable resource in my mind on this planet because it, it, it's always scarce. You never have enough of it, and, and there's only less of it once you become a college football coach. All right, Brady. Well, since since you're talking about time and I'm taking up more of yours, so I'm going to let you run because I know you probably have like five other jobs you're doing. Bruce, it's always a pleasure to take the time and, and talk with you, man. I uh, would love to do it again sometime, and hopefully, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, all right. So you can follow Brady on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal. That is his foundation. It does some really cool work. You can check it out. Uh, Brady, where can people listen to you on the radio? Yes, I'm on Sirius XM NFL Radio from uh, 11 a.m. Eastern to 3 p.m. I think that's Sirius Channel 88. And then there's also um, Fox Sports Radio. So I'm on from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern. 
on Sunday nights um, with Jonas Knox. So all, all fun, all stuff I love doing. Um, so that's where you can catch me on the radio and then CBSSports.com. I'm in there talking about college football, NFL football, all of it. All right. Brady, it's always a pleasure. I will talk to you soon, man. Thank you.